The night is dark, the raindrops sharp and stinging. Silently he walks, fearing no shadow, feeling no rain. Lost in somber thought is he, lost in mystic musing. Darker than night, colder than, colder than wet. He sees no earthly sights, he hears no earthly sound. For, though he walks amongst us, he is Dr. Strange. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the eighth episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, we'll see the Defenders get a new team member and follow a path of gothic horror from New England to Stonehenge to inside the Ancient One's mind. This week, I'm joined by my buddy Drew, How's it going, Drew? Ready for magical adventure? Oh man, am I ever, and I am also ready to learn that what true love is. Uh, true love's a lot of things. It's mostly the love between a man and a hot dog, though, as we'll see. <laughs> Alright, so just a reminder that you can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. Give the show a five-star review, and I'll read the review on the air. And if you want to read along with the podcast, you can find... All the issues covered in this episode in Essential Doctor Strange Volume 2 and Essential Defenders Volume 1 or Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange 4 and 5 and Marvel Masterworks The Defenders Volume 1. We're starting to get to the end of being able to reliably find issues on Marvel Unlimited. This week only the Defenders issues are there not the uh, Marvel premiere issues where Doctor Strange is. I've got like physical copies of the old comics. They're extremely funny. Oh, yeah, I've seen them. They're pretty awesome. They're full of uh, ads for like bodybuilding and drafting, like training. It's weird. It, old comic advertisements are insane. Oh, yeah, it's like all those old advertisements, uh, scientific like that. I mean, it's all like for the subscription service called Grit. There's one I keep seeing for removable facial hair that seems ridiculous. I don't know. Anyway, before we get to these, this week's issues, uh, let me recap quickly what's going on in the story. Um, Stephen Strange was an arrogant and rich surgeon until a car accident cost him the use of his hands. Seeking a cure, Strange found his way to the Temple of the Ancient One in Tibet. Eventually, Strange began studying magic under the Ancient One, and after a few years, became a master of the mystic arts. Besides Doctor Strange and the Ancient One, other key characters include Clea, once queen of an alternate dimension, and now Doctor Strange's main squeeze, and Wong, Doctor Strange's manservant and assistant. All magicians in their order seem to have one. For instance, the Ancient One is manservanted by Hamir the Hermit. Recently, Doctor Strange has come out of retirement to begin sorcering again. He's joined and become the de facto leader of the Defenders, along with Namor the Submariner and the Incredible Hulk. In our last issue, the team saved once evil cultist Barbara Norris from the clutches of the Nameless One, leader of the Undying Ones, a race of extra-dimensional monsters. She's now completely insane, and not in the fun Joker and Batman insane but the scary sit-on-the-floor-and-scream-all-day kind of insane. And that's where we pick up this week. Uh, take it away, Drew! So we see here in our uh, Defenders issue number four. Uh, From February 1973. Yes, uh, Valkyrie rides again. Uh, we start out with uh, the Hulk holding a very unconscious Barbara, making a big deal to be her protector and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, as uh, Doctor Strange and Namor venture back into the castle to chase after him, only to encounter... encounter uh, our wizard friend once again, 
whose name suddenly is called. Wait, which wizard friend? Uh, no, when they go back in the in the tower, there's like a leaping flame, and they find themselves in a new dimension. Yeah, it's all kinds of crazy. Like dudes just kind of pop out of nowhere. There's like knights everywhere. Madness. Mm-hmm. Then Doctor Strange encounters like a wizard battle. Yeah. Paragon, uh, yeah. the conjurer to the queen. There it is. Nah, Fragon, man. This dude's name is Fragon. I mean, I was like when I first saw this page, I was like half expecting like, are they did did they send these guys back to like the age of Merlin again? Because didn't they do that before? I know, man. That was the Fantastic Four, like um, in one of our Strange Tales stories. Yeah. Um, the Thing and the Human Torch went back to the King Arthur, but not Doctor Strange. And they are back in time. They're back to a world ruled by this evil lady. Um. Casalolia and her boyfriend, um, the Executioner, who's this Thor slash Avengers villain, right? Who's the, this kind of big dude right in like either side of his head? Yeah. So yeah, Namor and Doctor Strange get their fight on against these guys, all these nights, right? And get their just asses handed to. Them. Yep. <laughs> get tossed in jail. Oh no. Where Barbara continues to be insane. Yep. Only to find that in the jail cell across from them is Black Knight and the Enchantress. Yeah, so you so like in previous times when the um executioner, the executioner and the enchantress have been a team like wrecking shop sort of again both against Thor and Thor in in, uh, in particular and the Avengers in general. Um I always I know the enchantress now cuz she's in this terrible um Avengers Academy game that I'm playing all the time. She's got a an ability where she just sits on on a bench and side eyes people. It's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I know that she's a regular staple in uh, Thor's uh, rogues gallery. Yeah. So, anyway, the Enchantress takes it upon herself to turn Barbara into Valkyrie. Yeah, because they've, lo- they've been locked up because... So, like, I'll give some backstory here, Drew, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Um, so, in a previous adventure of um, the Enchantress and the Executioner, they were kicked out of Asgard by Odin and sort of sent to wander like the misty paths across dimensions and stuff and eventually they came upon this um blonde wizard queen lady who rules this alternate dimension um in sort of sort of smurfette style like she's the only woman there and she um took the executioner as her um as like her lover basically and the enchantress was pissed so she's done several adventures to try, or she's had several schemes to try to get back at the executioner. Her most recent one is to enlist the aid of the Black Knight to take to take the executioner out. They failed and have been trapped this whole time, or have been trapped for a long time. But now that um, the defenders have bought have brought um, crazy Barbara Norris to them, the Enchantress sees her chance and ca- makes yeah makes Barbara the uh, Valkyrie. Just- like straight up just says, well, this person's useless. Let's turn it into something useful. Yeah, the team objects because that's a crazy thing to do. But Enchantress doesn't is not interested in those objections. Of course not. So you see the Valkyrie reborn once again to go kick some ass. Yep, as they do, taking down uh, Fagon and uh, the Executioner. Mm-hmm. Only to, let's see, and then they go to take on uh, Castellina to be uh, only have uh, the Enchantress of. Uh, Going like one on one fight against her. Yeah, the Valkyrie tries to fight her, but the Valkyrie can't. The Valkyrie cannot fight a woman, and Enchantress is like, I don't have that problem. It just straight up wrecks her. Absolutely just wrecks her. Yep. And then of course, uh, the Enchantress, being the Enchantress, decides to get back with the Executioner, and then turns the Black Knight into stone. 
Oh, no. Bad times. Yeah, and then the whole team just flies back the uh, stone. Yeah, it flies back the stone. Black Knight. In Calgary just essentially takes uh, Aragorn. I can't believe it. Hey, man, no one knew who Aragorn was in, like, 1972. No one read Lord of the Rings. They read books they did. <laughs> yeah. The take, funny, yeah. Taking Aragorn and the Pegasus back to modern times to try to figure out a way to turn the Black Knight back from stone. And, of course, at the very end of the book, we see that the Omegatron is counting down still. Yeah. It's counting down at incredibly slow speeds. So the funny thing about this is that... um. The Black Knight's going to be made out of stone for a long time. How long do you think the Black Knight's going to be made out of stone, Drew? Give me a guess. Uh, I'm going to say three years. Ten years. Damn! He's going to be de-stoned in 1982. It's insane. I mean, he'll have adventures because his spirit has been sent back in time. And so he'll do a bunch of stuff like in King Arthur's court and stuff. But he'll definitely be over the opinion. Like, people will be like, hey, come back to, uh, to modern times with us. And uh, be a cool adventurer guy again in in uh you know in the twentieth century and Black Knight will be no my place is here and so he totally doesn't come back fully until like 1982. <laughs> but so now let's move on to Defenders Five from April 1973. <laughs> the name of the story is World Without End. Steve Englehart author, Sal Buscema artist, Frank McLaughlin inker, Charlotte Jeter letterer. Glynis Wine Colorist. So this issue opens with Valkyrie walking down the streets of Greenwich Village in New York, uh, reenacting the opening of a Jane Mansfield movie from like the 50s as all the men and boys for a mile around can't help but stare and freak out at her bodacious bod, basically. Well, she's got that, you know, chest armor thing. That Yeah, she's got boob cones. Yeah. Um, and... As the Valkyrie takes her walk, she reflects on her past, which I thought I'd mention here a little bit more in, in detail. Uh, this is the third time we've seen this specific version of the Valkyrie in Marvel Comics, this version with the blonde hair and the blue cape and the boob cones. The previous two were also Enchantress-related. Um, first, she turned a teenager that was a member of a, a fake leftist grifter family that was holding a fake fundraiser for the Hulk into Valkyrie. And another time, the Enchantress actually turned herself into Valkyrie to trick the women of the Avengers into becoming a super team called the Liberators in a plot to get back at Executioner for leaving her for Castellania. So the Avengers version is pretty rough because it lampshades a bunch of legitimate complaints that comic book fans have had both at the time through to today about the treatment and representation of female superheroes by having all the talking points be given all the talking points and like complaints be given by an evil character attempting to fool the heroes to sort of delegitimize them basically um so while this version this third version of the Valkyrie is still like a huge like women's liver i guess for to use the terms of the time and she'll totally like call you a chauvinist pig and punch your lights out she's also attempting to fit in a bit and be less strident uh for better or for worse as we'll see when she's attacked by a bunch of crazy ninjas right now and she doesn't get super pissed when dr strange finishes them off well ninjas in new york man i mean it's a problem they're out there so after their ninja fight uh, Val and Strange return to the Sanctum Sanctorum, Doctor Strange's mansion slash apartment in Granch Village. And as they enter, Clea gives Valkyrie 
ex- some extremely epic side eye as she enters. And Valkyrie re- resolves to make better friends with the rest of the of the Defender and to help them. And to help her, Doctor Strange hands over a pair of mystic rubies that are automatically made to automatically point towards Namor and the Hulk. So it's easy to find them because, you know, the Defenders isn't really a full team. They don't have, like, team meetings or anything like that. It's very drop-in, drop-out. So you need sort of special abilities to find people. So Valkyrie takes off on Aragorn, and first she flies out to Namor's um, house, who's chilling with his niece, uh, Namorita, and Namorita's guardian, Betty Prentice, who is or who was Namor's girlfriend slash sidekick back in World War II, and has now sort of grown to MILF status, basically. <laughs> and, is, and is now Namor, N- Namorita's, like, guardian. And Namor, you know, listen, the Defenders is a team full of jerks. I can't, I can't stress this oh, enough. Oh, they, they are a team full of jerks. That's what the yeah. is. And so when Valkyrie tries to, like ask to be friends with Namor. Namor says, no, I don't want to be friends with anybody. But then he mysteriously disappears, like he becomes a negative image and then blasts away. It's quite mysterious. But the uh, locator Ruby is still working on him. So Valkyrie, Namorita, mount up on the Pegasus and fly off to hunt him down. Along the way, they bump into the Hulk, and they try to warn him that, like, hey, someone's teleporting away the Defenders. But the Hulk doesn't want to hear that, and kind of gets angry, and there's almost a fight. But then the Hulk gets teleported away, too. So now there's now Valkyrie and Namorita are on the search for two dudes, and but they're at the same location. They follow the m- magic rubies to a certain lighthouse. The lighthouse that is the home of the Omegatron! <laughs> Yandroth, Scientist Supreme's ultimate doomsday weapon. It's bad, Drew. I know. It's real bad. Yeah, but you'll remember that, like, so the Omegatron will destroy the Earth when its final countdown runs out, and then it says Yandroth's name. Like, that's the that's the explosion symbol? Or, like, that's what it has to do to detonate itself and destroy the world's nuclear stockpiles and destroy the Earth? But... Yo, this robot totally says Yandroth's name before um, before the final countdown ends. <laughs> and I guess, like, the rule is that it's got to wait to get to the end of the countdown before it has to say the name. But that's ridiculous. I feel like that's cheating, honestly. But so anyhow, it turns out that the Omegatron has kidnapped and brainwashed Hulk and, the Namor, Hulk and Namor to protect itself in the final milliseconds. But luckily, Valkyrie is able to punch them sane again. And then... As they finally reach zero, Omegatron turns into a giant metal dude to change, to say the magic words. Unfortunately, a giant metal dude is way easier to beat up than just a giant computer. So everybody sort of fights this metal dude. Eventually, Valkyrie totally like lops his head off, basically. And this kills it because her sword is a mix of magic and technology which is, like, super powerful against Yandroth robots, apparently. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So, at the end of the fight, you know, it's it's Namorita, Valkyrie, Hulk, and Namor sort of standing over the dead body of this giant robot guy. And Valkyrie is like, hey, so I'm pretty cool now, right? I totally killed this monster guy. I- and Hulk's like, no, you suck. I could totally join the Defenders, right, you guys? Right, right? Hulk says, absolutely not. Hulk hates girls. He's out of here. He jumps away. 
And Namor's like, Hulk is in, Hulk, Hulk's crazy. Don't listen to that old guy. You're cool. Welcome aboard. Let's go back to the Sanctum Sanctorum and like get some nachos. Or so they fly away. And instead of these episode ending with the end, it ends with maybe the beginning. And that's the end of that issue. Which takes us to Defenders 6 from June 1973. Drew, what do you got? Ah, uh, yes. Issue 6 of Defenders, Dream of Death, where we see the return of the Silver Surfer, who's decided to not be all mopey and stuff. You know. uh, that's, that's, that's a short-term change. <laughs> that's the Silver Surfer's primary superpower. It's mopiness. Come back and be like, hey, sorry I was being all mopey, guys. Can I, can I come hang with you again? They're like, sure. They're like, oh, why'd you guys answer so fast? No, I feel bad. Of course, he finds that the, the Sanctum Sanctorum has been surrounded by a giant tie-dye colored box. I hate when that happens. Hey, man, it's the 60s. No, it's not. It's 1973. Whatever, man. No, it's, a, it's something my mom likes to tell me, which is that most of the things that we think of as the 60s actually happened in the 70s. Oh, yeah. When you think, you know, anyway. like Woodstock wasn't the end of the hippies, the start of it, you know. That was in 1969. Well, after a few uh, a blasts of trying to break this thing open, Silver Surfer decides that the only thing to do would be to go into orbit and then smash it head on, plunging right into it. Yeah. Which totally works. I mean, he's got a super powerful ultra surfboard. Yeah. Why wouldn't it work? Blows right through that cube and finds that uh, that uh, Cirrus Black is attacking the thing of the Centaurum. Su- Man, it's Cyrus Black, but I see you, uh, J.K. Rowling, and your name's stealing. I totally see her doing it, and I, I want to point it out. I'm just saying. That's fair. I will say the Sirius Black is way cooler than this guy, because this guy has like a weird tri-pointy thing on his head, and just like some sort of unisuit underneath a cloak. It's weird. Yeah. He Also, he's got a gang of these green ninjas that attacked the Valkyrie last issue. Like, he's the one that was in charge of those ninjas, apparently. And so we see that uh, Doctor Strange, Namor, and the Valkyrie are inside the Sanctum Sanctorum wondering, well, geez, this is happening again. How nuts is this? You know, it's Tuesday. Yeah. Fight off magic attack. Fight off these dudes and, you know, Silver Surfer jo- joins in the fray. Yeah, and they make quick work of these bad guys. Like, they are no no match for these, um, for this ridiculous team of Doctor Strange, Namor, the Silver Surfer, and Valkyrie. Like, for real, the big dramatic part of this fight is that um, someone kind of bumps into the Black Knight's statue and almost knocks it over. Oh, jeez, he's going to break apart. And Dr. Strange is like, no, I've, I've magically made, stopped it from tipping over. And everyone's like, woof. All right, let's go back to fighting these jerks. Oof. Of course, after, you know, sending, the, sending them packing, they find that the large uh, tie-dye color cube is now gone. And, of course, we see that Cyrus Black is, has gone home to throw himself a little temper tantrum. Yeah. So, you know... Lights of incense and have himself a little nap. He's also got a, a pet rat familiar here. Yeah. Again, like I'm doing that thing where I have two eyes and then I point and I'm pointing right at J.K. Rowling <laughs> for the stealing. Also, I can't stress enough that these are Jamaican incense. He says so like three times. So, you know, Jamaican incense, if you catch my drift, Drew. I don't see what you're trying to get in your Conrad. I don't. All right. Whatever, man. Are you, are you insinuating something? Because I'm not getting it. Possibly. So he lights his incense and he decides to have himself a little nap to only dream that his gi- his his rat has become giant and is trying to yeah. him. Oh no! Only to see that once he wakes up, it's not a dream; it's actually happening. Oh man, there's a plan in this. And then he thinks maybe maybe I can use the power of my dreams to finally defeat the defenders. And then he starts sending all these weird dream creatures after the defenders, like this kind of weird 
troll thing with a giant mouth and two... Yeah. And a multi-headed snake monster. Yeah. And eventually, a dream version of Cyrus Black. He's all, like, buff and awesome. has a much cooler unit, cooler unitard and stuff. It doesn't have that weird spiky helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't take that much to do, man. It's like, come on, do that in real life. Have some confidence, man. I mean, he's got to test it out in his dreams first after you do. Of course, he finds that even in his dreams, he's not able to defeat the defenders. Yeah. Namor figures out that, like, hey, we're dreaming, and if this is a dream, then, like, you can't hurt us. You're just, you're just some guy. Get it, guy. <laughs> Get out of these dreams. I'm not having any of this. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of a sad ending, actually. It's just like, I can't even beat him in my dreams. I guess I'll go to find another job instead of being a supervillain. <laughs> like he just kind of walks out the door, leaving his pet rat behind, you know? Yeah, he's so dejected. I'm feeling kind of bad for this guy. Yeah, well, you know, it's okay. He'll be back in a couple of years for more dream-based fighting. All right, well. And we go on to the main event, this huge Doctor Strange story. So we leave the Defenders. We leave the pages of the Defenders comic and go to Marvel premiere number three from July 1972. While the world spins mad. Spellbinding scenario by Stan Lee. Phantasmagoric plot and penciling by Barry Smith. Embellishment by Dan Adkins. Lettering by John Costanza. So some folks might notice that we've gone back in time a bit to July 1972 from June 1973. Uh, both the Defenders and Marvel premiere are starting at the same time in the summer of 1972, and they're both bi-monthly. So Marvel premiere will come out in July, and Defenders number one came out in August, then Marvel premiere four in September, and so on. And it'll stay this way until the next episode of this podcast when the Defenders go monthly for the Avengers Defenders War. It's so cool. But for now, so Doctor Strange is walking down the street on a rainy night in New York. He's lost in thought and is almost hit by a truck, but he manages to stop it in time with his magic. He returns to the Sanctum Sanctorum and chills out and does some more magic. The magic in this issue actually is like pretty BS in my opinion, because all the spells are along the lines of... Uh, in the name of the all-seeing, in the name of the all-whatevering, in the name of the all-freeing, let my whatever be whatevering. So, like in this case, he enters his ectoplasmic form and says, in the name of the all-spawning, let my ectoplasmic form be borning, which doesn't rhyme and is ridiculous, like borning is not a word. It's definitely not as strong as the ABAB style uh, incantation. It's just that it's always the in the name of the all-seeing, and then in the name of the all-freeing, and the thing on the other side. Like, there's another one where he uses the Eye of Agamotto and says, in the, you know, in the name of the all-seeing, in the name of the all-knowing, in the name of the all-freeing, let your visage be showing. Like, I don't like it. We gotta do better than this, uh, Marvel writers from 40 years ago. <laughs> anyway, but so, Doctor Strange goes into his ectoplasmic form, and as he does, he realizes that he's under attack from something powerful. He tries to contact the Ancient One to figure out what it is, but the Ancient One can't give him any information except that there's big stuff happening and Doctor Strange is in trouble, which isn't, like, a ton of help. Doctor Strange then realizes that his mortal body is being threatened by some magical force. Strange destroys the Eye of Agamotto to stop it, but it's too late. 
and his body is inhabited by the evil force. Strange has a magic fight with his own body, and after the fight, finds himself on a strange, different world, full of trees with his own face on, on them, screaming that he's going mad. Doctor Strange is pushed to his limit until he uses his amulet and realizes that he's actually in some kind of Jacob's Ladder situation. Uh, shout out to the podcast, How Did This Get Made? <laughs> he... He actually was hit by that truck at the start of the comic, and now his body is in a coma in the hospital, and his mind is in the realm of Nightmare. And then Nightmare comes gunning for Doctor Strange. Apparently, he's been promised by some unknown force some extra power to take down Strange, but it was all a lie, and he's like... And, and Nightmare goes down saying, Help me, you promised to give me power. Apparently, receives no answer. But it's still ominous that one of Doctor Strange's foes would come back with renewed vigor because of some uh, third-party assistance. But anyway, Doctor Strange eventually wakes up in his hospital bed, uh, gathers his stuff, brainwashes the hospital staff, as you do, and heads home. But as he does, see a shadow in the door of the sanctum. Spooky! Next issue, Murder by Magic. And Drew, you're on that one. Marvel Premiere 4. Texas and Marvel Premiere issue 4 from September yeah. uh, 1972. Right. Uh, the spawn of Sligoth, which takes us into this whole kind of off-brand H.P. Lovecraft uh, stuff. Yeah, listen. Um, <laughs> so, I, all of these issues say, like, sort of give an actual tip of the hat to Robert E. Howard, which... Who is the who? I think most people, if if they would know him at all, would know him as the guy who created Conan, um, like Conan the Barbarian and stuff. Well, not uh, not not the TV host. No, no, no. But he also created a uh, preacher. Uh, he created um, what Solomon Kane. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, Solomon Kane. My bad. No problem. Yeah, but yeah, he created. You know, he was a, he was a pope novelist in like the the twenties and thirties. Yeah, and he did do some Lovecraft mythos stuff, like. He sort of specifically mentioned a character named Shumagorath, who's going to be the, who, spoiler, is going to be the big, or eight issues, basically. But he kind of just kind of mentioned it in a story. And so now, I guess, maybe to block, to pre pre prevent themselves from being sued, uh, the Marvel, Marvel's saying that all of this stuff is based on Robert E. Howard. But it's ridiculous because this story specifically, like the next two issues, are like an obvious reek of the H.P. Lovecraft story shadow over Innsmouth. Yeah. Like hugely so. I mean, not to say that, you know, there's nobody else out there doing the exact same thing looking at you, Wizards of the Coast. Well, listen, <laughs> that's like an homage, though. Like they aren't saying that, like, like that's clearly like a, a, uh, a gothic horror. Like we're taking all the, uh, all the influences from all this stuff and putting it together as a thing, you know? Yeah. They aren't saying, oh, we know we were inspired by this other guy who we happen to have a publishing relationship with, with our Conan the Barbarian comic books now available on newsstands near you, you know? <laughs> but it's, it's very weird. And actually, um, you know, because I have the physical copies of all these comic books, I have all of the uh, letter columns, you know? And basically every, every issue sort of starting from Marvel Premiere 5 where they catch up with this issue, Marvel or four, there's at least one article or or at least one letter that is, uh, hey man, this stuff is Lovecraft, not a uh, Robert E. Howard. You guys are messing up. And Marvel and like the uh, editor being like, no man, we're inspired by Howard for this, not Lovecraft for real. And it's 
obviously false, but it's it's a weird choice, I guess. So anyway. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, the Spawn of Sligas, a stand yeah. production. Uh, Archie Goodwin writer, uh, Barry Smith and Frank Brunner artists, uh, lettered by John Costanza, plotted and edited by Roy Thomas, featuring concepts created by Robert E. Howard. Indeed. Yeah. Where we see uh, Doctor Strange entering his study to see that there is a, uh, a shadowy figure standing in front of the fireplace, only to see that it's a just some guy. Uh, yeah. Ethan, Ethan Stoddard. Kind of hangs out. Yeah. Some some random dude. He's taking the liberty of building the world's largest fire in uh, Doctor Strange's fireplace. I mean, I know if I broke into somebody else's house, I would not build a fire in their fireplace. That's not like the first thing I would do. He's there to talk, not to steal. It's fine. And of course, we also see uh, Doctor Strange just absolutely ripping the wall, solidly rip. Right. I mean, he apologizes he afterwards. Does. It's just like it's like solid, just just a dressing down. Hey, he's had a bad night, man. He was hit by a truck, literally. But so anyhow. Eventually, Doctor Strange and this Stoppard guy sort of sit down and have a discussion about Stoppard's problems. Yeah, sit down and discuss his problems about what's going on in the uh, the town of uh, Starkboro. That's S-T-A-R-K-E-B-O-R-O. S-B-O-R-O. Yeah. Starkisboro. Yeah. I just want to be really, really clear on what that spelling is right now. It's definitely, definitely starts out as Starkisboro. And so they... <laughs> And so Dr. Strange decides that, you know, okay, he's not telling me enough. I'm going to, you know, look into his mind with the eye of Agamotto to see what's really going on. And decides to, you know, help him by going to Starkisboro. Yeah, it turns out that, so this guy and his fiance are both sort of from Starkisboro originally. And they sort of left to become grad students and stuff. But then his fiance went back to uh, do some research or something. And she hasn't been heard from in a long time. And so now Stoppard's getting Doctor Strange to come with him as they both go back to Starkersboro to see what's going on. And that's S-T-A-R-K-E-S-B-O-R-O. Just Indeed. I don't know why you're talking about your way you're harping on this, Drew. I but... <laughs> want to make that abundantly clear. So they, they board a bus. Yeah, they, they take the Greyhound. A lot of Greyhounds hit among the Defenders and Doctor Strange. Where, in the most important moment of this comic, they stop at a diner. And, and Doctor Strange expresses his true love for a simple hot dog. Okay. <laughs> What? I gotta. I like. I'm so. If 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 it weren't full of full of words and stuff, I would make this the album. The uh the like the show art. Just Doctor Strange making love to this hot dog at a roadside diner. <laughs> he is so into it. He doesn't even listen to Stoppard's additional exposition because he's so busy. No, just grubbing, grubbing on this hot. He's so dog. into this hot dog. But I confess that having grown used to dealing with cosmic mysteries beyond the ken of most mortals, I had forgotten what simple and subtle delight there could be in consuming an ordinary hot dog. And Ethan just says, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have I devoted my life to here, Drew? I don't even know. <laughs> it's the wrong thing. You should be devoting your life to hot dogs, apparently. I've eaten a few. I'll say that. <laughs> so, after our brief interlude at the... Uh, uh, where Doctor Strange expresses his deep love for hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we finally reach Starkisboro. Again, S-T-A-R-K-E-S-B-O-R-O. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Sanctum Sanctorium, Wong is contacting the Ancient One. Just to be aware, it's like, hey, Doctor Strange is going to contact you around midnight. Just heads up. Mm-hmm. He's going to need your help. Yeah, this is basically the mystic equivalent of uh, leaving a note, which you always should do. Yeah, totally. But so the bus drives into Starkisboro at like 11 and the church bells ring like it's time for worship. Yep. And so they go to check into a hotel where we meet 
rednecks. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just a bunch of like, see, I don't know, I kind of imagine them, I guess, imagine them as being New Englanders, just because where you take the bus from in, in New York, I guess, but just going by rednecks, like a lot it, of... I guess it's because they're on the water that makes me think of them as, 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 as more New Englanders, but either way, the sort of small town folk who are hostile to outsiders, we can agree on that, right? Oh, yeah. It's just like a whole lot of ain'ts and yeah. Well, yeah. This ain't a big big city hotel, stranger. I'm. The... <laughs> yeah. So after Doctor Strange has settled into his room, he decides he enters his astral form to uh, go speak with the Ancient One, but finds it slightly difficult. Yeah, all magic is, seems to be very hard to cast in Starkus Burrow. Like Doctor Strange can't um can't keep like his magic going. It's like it's being sucked. His energy is being sucked out of him. Well, he eventually does, and he goes and confers with the Ancient One, and the Ancient One says, yeah, there's something up here, man. Just uh, be safe. Things might get weird. Yeah. And then Doctor Strange flies over the town of Starksboro and uh, leaves. They dropped it like, okay, sorry, listener. <laughs> the joke Drew and I are making is that the name of the town is spelled very inconsistently within the issues of this comic. Not just this comic, multiple comics throughout this series. Well, yeah, but but I mean... I, I feel like I, I I had thought that they started like a couple issues in, but even in this one, the first in issue four, you know, in the first issue of this storyline, they start dropping the E out of Starkusboro and turning it into Starksboro. It's real, like unprofessional, guys. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's real, real bad. But anyhow, so the next day, the next Stopper, Stoppard and Stranger walking through town. And they meet some locals. Yeah, they uh, had to meet some locals who just look kind of funny, little scaly skin. Reddish eyes. Seems a little weird. Yeah. On their way to the library to go check things out. Yeah, well, Stoppard goes to the library, and then Strange goes to investigate the church. Yes. And of course, Stoppard, you know, meet fairly rude librarian and, and finds his fiance. Woo! All right, job's done. Let's go home. So let's go back to Dr. Strange, who has found, well, demonic things. This church is so evil, Drew. It's so evil. It's, it's like, super. It's super duper evil. It's like an upside down cross with like a dragon going through it and like an altar with chains on it. It's like all bad. They aren't even like trying to hide the fact that this altar is human sacrifice. Yeah. It's like it's like when you it's it's like when you leave when you when you live alone and you just stop and you stop caring about like leaving porn out or something like that, you know. <laughs> like these guys have reached a level of slovenliness with their human sacrifice that is Makes it very easy for them to be fought to be found out. <laughs> yes, he sees the mark of the Shogoth. I mean, Sligoth. Not yeah, Sligoth. Sligoth, not Shogoth. Mm -hmm. Very clear. Yeah, and Stoppard approaches his fiance and finds that she too has weird eyes and scaly fit. And ah, scaly she's a crazy lizard lady. And she also like stretches out her s's a lot too. Yeah, she's got a strange way of speaking. Really stretches out those s's. Yeah, because the evil. But so Stoppard runs and he runs to meet Doctor Strange in the church. And then all the locals in the town come and surround them inside the church. Yep. Start chanting, telling yeah. Ethan to come out. And of course, Ethan finally succumbs. He becomes one of these strange lizards. Yeah. He becomes super evil and taunts Doctor Strange as, the ma as Strange's magic leaves him. And It's like super hard to, to, you know, cast magic in this town. I mean, hell, even his cloak of levitation isn't really doing him much good. He's like flying around like a moth inside a house. Yeah, it's really, it's a, I think it's a really cool, like, this section is really neat just as Strange tries to escape and he can't. And like, and like uh, Stoppard, like, taunts him 
and says that he'll soon be dead and the townsfolk are approaching him and chanting and stuff. It's neat. It's very Eldritch Horror. Yeah. Yeah. And so the story ends with him about to sacrifice him to Sligoth, the dark god. Which takes us to uh, issue number five. Yeah. Marvel premiere number five, November 1972. Uh, The Lurker in the Labyrinth. Gardner F. Fox, writer, Irv Wesley, artist, Don Perlin, inker, Sam Rosen, letterer, concepts by Robert E. Howard. So this issue, there's a new creative team, uh, a new writer, and a new artist, and I don't like them very much, (laughs) like IMO, in my opinion. Um, Because over the last two issues, there's been a steady attempt to go like full like gothic horror, have everything feel very dark and grim and scary. And the way Irv, Irv Wesley draws the town folk here makes them look more silly than scary. Instead of being lizard people, they're kind of frog people with kind of funny faces and stuff. It, it just kind of looks like they haven't had you know a good night's sleep the previous couple of nights. Yeah, so it, it takes away from their evil chanting, like just go away, saying Shub, Fnathcore, Morkath over and over again isn't as frightening when people look really, really silly, I guess. But it doesn't take away from the frighteningness of their dark priestess, Abora, or their dark god, Sligoth, uh, who's apparently hundreds of years old, preserved by the magic of the Upside Down Cross. And Sligoth is a huge green snake lizard monster. Like, he's kind of, he's like huge enough. Both of them are in turn working for a higher power, the evil god Shumagorath. And Strange is about to be sacrificed to Shumagorath, but manages to escape via Cloak of Levitation. Because the Cloak of Levitation always has your back, Drew. Always. So, what follows is there's a big fight inside the church. Strange manages to fight off Sligoth and the mutated townsfolk. But throughout it, he constantly says, like, oh, there's this evil aura that's blanketing me and sapping my power. He gets weaker and weaker, and whenever he triumphs or manages to cast a spell that's able to, to fight someone off, it's like he's, he's making an extra push, and he knows he'll never be able to go that far again. He gets weaker and so, and so forth. But he does eventually fight off the townsfolk and escape into the labyrinthine tunnels beneath the church with only a candle to guide him. Uh, Meanwhile, the Ancient One is in a bad way. He's been sending magic to help Doctor Strange as Strange's magic is being leached out of him by the town. And this has had a terrible cost as the Ancient One's mystic defenses have lowered and these monster guys... The unspeakable shadow men of Ka'u scuttle into the Ancient One's sanctum and carry him off. And as he's dragged away, he laments only that he won't be able to help Doctor Strange any further. But then smash cut to Clea, who awakes with a start back in New York. And it seems she's received a dream from Umar, uh, the unspeakable one, uh, sister of the Dread Dormammu, that... Doctor Strange is in a lot of danger. She rushes to the Sanctum Sanctorum, magically repairs the Eye of Agamotto, and confirms the facts of this danger. So then she and Wong um, pile into their car, which they didn't have previously because they took the bus. Like, I don't know how, where this car came from. Yeah, I, if they had the car, why didn't they just take the car? I don't understand. New Yorkers, I guess. Maybe one that takes the time to get that hot dog. Mm. 
And so Wong and Claire are driving off to uh, Starkspurra. Meanwhile, back in now Starkspurra, which I believe will be its name for the rest of the uh, issue, <laughs> um, Abora is standing on the sea cliffs, worshipping Shimagorath, and directly below, Doctor Strange and Sligoth full combat. Um, also down in this tunnel is the church, is the uh, is the cross from the church, the upside down cross. That will be important later. Uh, Strange and Sligoth start to fight, but at this point, Doctor Strange is completely drained. He's just a dude and no match for a crazy lizard monster. In his despair, he calls out to the Vishanti for guidance, and they actually respond. Um, so, you know, we, we've heard Doctor Strange pray to the Vishanti basically since the first issue, both as a group and individually. Oh, yeah. This is... Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's constant, basically. But this is the first time we've actually seen them um, appear before Doctor Strange. They don't actually introduce themselves one by one, but I, I've got you in terms of describing them. <laughs> so there's a woman with green skin and gems for eyes. That's uh, the omnipotent Oshter. There's a guy with gray skin, elf ears, and compound insect eyes, like the, eye, like, like the eyes of a fly, basically. And that's uh, Hori Hogoth. And then there's a lion with flaming eyes, and that's all-seeing Agamato. Um, <clears throat> the Vashanti are sort of bummed that Doctor Strange is about to be eaten by Sligoth, but they choose not to intervene. Or at least, like, they don't intervene directly. Instead, they lift the evil aura that's been sapping Doctor Strange's powers. So now the fight is back on. Uh, Doctor Strange manages to bind Sligoth with the rings of Ragador, but Abora causes a magical earthquake, which then floods the cave system and allows Sligoth to escape, but traps Doctor Strange in the rapidly filling cavern. We end this issue with Ebora herself diving into the sea and then arriving to menace Doctor Strange with a crazy trident. And uh, that's the end of the issue. And hey, we're halfway through, Drew. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. So let's take a quick break. Um, I'll play a song. And coming up next, we'll leave Starkspur we'll Stark behind and take this adventure international and then interdimensional. Woo! Or at least that was the plan. However, in the interests of keeping these episodes of manageable sizes, I'm going to end this one here. I'll post part two of episode eight Friday night or Saturday morning. Thank you for listening, and may the Vishanti guide your path. Strange came into my father. I don't know just what to ask her.